0: Hi, I'm Nicole Jardim, a certified women's health coach, also known as The Period Fixer, and you are listening to another episode of my podcast, The Period Party, which is what happens when you get the world's leading women's health experts unscripted, uncensored, and on the air. Think of it as girl talk gone menstrual. On The Period Party, we talk candidly about all of those off-limits topics, periods, hormones, vaginas, fertility, miscarriage, postpartum, and so much more. Join me and my guests each episode for fun, fresh, and truthful conversation, and let us help you develop a deeper understanding of how your body works. Hello, listeners. I am back this week with Katie Mora an Institute for Functional Medicine certified practitioner and registered dietitian who specializes in gut and hormonal health. Katie is the founder of a virtual functional medicine practice, Gut Honest Truth, that focuses on the root causes of inflammation, autoimmune disease, irritable bowel syndrome, hormone imbalances, and skin conditions, amongst other chronic disease states. And she's also the host of the Gut Honest Truth podcast, where she has interviewed some of the most prominent individuals in the field. I really loved this episode because Katie is answering some of the most common questions that I hear about gut health. Like, how do I even know if I have a gut issue? And do I need testing? And should I take a probiotic or not? Anyway, I really hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did recording it. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, Katie. Thank you so much for being here with me.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be on today.
0: Oh, same, same. I was saying to you before we started recording that I don't really talk a lot about gut health. At least we don't go in depth on the podcast as much as I would like to. And so I'm thrilled to have you here because you're gonna be debunking myths left and right, no doubt. My favorite thing to do, let's have at it. (laughs) No, that's really great. Okay, good. I'm glad that you're here. I feel like there's just so much conversation going on about gut health, right? Like we hear all about it. And I find myself saying to people, On Instagram and other places, that you know, their gut plays a really big role in their hormone health, and they need to be addressing their gut health. And I'm pretty sure that that's not really landing for many of those people (laughs) because I think that they don't even know what that means. So I figured we could start with like, what does gut health mean in the context of our overall health?
1: Yeah. So I do think gut health is the terminology is sort of thrown around as a catch-all, or it is really kind of poorly understood, right? So let's just talk GI tract as a whole, right? Gut health, we could go into the brain too, but we'll say mouth to anus, right? Is your GI tract. So everything starts in the mouth, the digestion and breakdown of food goes into your stomach. We're going to miss a lot of parts along the way, but we're going to the stomach, the small intestine, the large intestine, colon, and then out the body, right? So Along the way, your body's working super hard to digest the foods that you're going out of your way to purposefully and healthfully eat, absorb the nutrients right into the bloodstream, use them in the cell house for energy, for brain function, for hormone production, everything you could possibly think of, right, goes off your food. And then the rest in a perfect world is being broken down and kind of turned into stool and like excreted out of the body. We miss talking about a lot of the organ systems and like overall gut health. People refer to like the microbiome all the time, right? They're saying your microbiome balance, the bacteria, it all matters. But we don't even really know as consumers, I think often what organ system we're even like talking about in the plethora of them in the GI tract. So usually when you hear it in social media, if you hear, you know, a talk, it's talking about the large intestine we're talking about. The small intestine plays honestly like a huge role. And I actually think our knowledge base is not there. We don't know that much. You're going to see a lot of research hopefully come out about the microbiome of the small intestine in the next few years. Fears, science takes forever, but fears. <laughs> but right, everything that goes on there is so important. So we're talking about the balance of the bacteria. We're talking about how those bacteria communicate with the body and with each other and keep things within balance and absorb nutrients for your energy. How well you detox, your gut is a huge part of your detox system from heavy metals to estrogen, right? So you could go really down everything, but it's really honestly about balance in my opinion. How are those gut bugs balancing and absorbing your food? Cause you're not just what you eat, but you are what you absorb. You're what you don't poop out all of it.
0: That's so good because I feel like people will say things along the lines of, is it my stomach that you're talking about? Like, yeah. What are you ta- my colon? <laughs> like, what are you
1: talking about? People don't know. And they'll say, like, right, my stomach always hurts. And you're like, okay, I need you to physically show me or I need you to explain like hours after eating. And why should they know? That's not their job, right? But right. they don't know which organ system they're actually talking to you about when they're explaining symptoms. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, nobody knows their stomach is up here. I know <laughs> it's like a lot of people not do. the stomach people are talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. I know when I sure say it, right? Just and you're like, oh, my stomach hurts. It's like, Okay. We're colon or colon. So <laughs> everyone, else. just so you all know, it's from the oh, top yeah. to the bottom. <laughs> yeah. It's the it's whole super involved. Thing. I missed about 30 parts that we would need to do a whole course on.
0: <laughs> exactly. I know you need to just go to her website, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> if you want to learn more. So there's something else that I think is so interesting as well, is that there's been a massive rise in gut related conditions in what feels like across the board from the time we're young to- 20s, 30s, 40s, and older, and I'm particularly interested in what's happening when we're young, right? Because I think that as parents, and I'm not a parent, and there's no judgment on my part by any means, but I feel as though we kind of think, oh, well, you know, they're young, and so things don't really affect them, or that'll just have a fleeting effect on them, you know, if they have this certain food or whatever, and. I know for myself that I definitely had problems as a child that were mostly ignored because no one knew they were really like, problems or they didn't know what to do. And, you know, I remember being constipated and I remember having like upset stomach and like a nervous stomach a lot of the time and throwing up randomly and things like that. And by the time I was in my early teens, I had definitely gotten progressively worse. But again, by that point, Nothing had really been done about it when I was younger. So I just assumed that this was kind of the normal way things were. And then by the time I was in my late teens, early twenties, I was in really bad shape. So I'm curious, what do you think is going on with this? You know, like, are there more gut health issues than there used to be? And is it that we're starting at a younger age or is it just things are being ignored at a younger age? Loaded question. I know. Sorry.
1: (laughs) No, it's a great question. So I do think that Testing and science has obviously evolved from, you know, even when we were kids to say a lot of this is connected to the diet. It is connected to the gut, right? So that maybe now it sounds like we're talking about gut health more, but it was always there. We just didn't know the connections. So I think that is a part of it. I do also think that, if you exist in, what is this, 2022, you know that stress is high even for our kids, right? So it's scary, right? The world is kind of a scary place right now and our kids feel it, right? Their kids are stressed. They know stress and maybe we don't realize or imagine, right? My child's very young, but like you don't always know what's going on in your kids' lives. So the way that we observe stressful things, the way that we absorb them into the body and handle them, When you are stressed all the time, if you're being bullied at school, right? Or if you're just seeing the news or whatever it is, all of the energy and blood flow and function that should go to your digestive system or your hormonal, right, and endocrine system for you to function on a day-to-day basis, for you to digest that food, good food or bad, doesn't matter, right? It doesn't need it. You don't need your digestive system to work properly. That's what the term, like pooped your pants, right? When you were scared, you don't need your digestive system to run or fight for your life, right? So if we're scared or if we're stressed, and we're eating at school, we're eating at home and we don't feel safe, we don't feel comforted, right? That's gonna shut down and we're gonna poorly digest food. This goes for kids, adults, teens, doesn't matter. They're gonna poorly digest food and have bigger food particles, make it from that stomach where it should be really broken down into chyme and move into the small intestine and the large intestine, which is going to cause a lot of the byproduct of gas, bloating, diarrhea, constipation, right? Stomach pains, really everything. So, I do think that the stress as a whole is way worse. I think our food quality and the processing of food is way worse. I think if you can go back to like when we were kids or our parents were kids. Majority of what they ate, you know, was hopefully coming from whole foods, right? People were cooking. Women didn't go to the workforce as much and they were getting a lot of home cooked meals, hopefully. And that's just not the case now, right? We have a lot of working women and working men and not as much time to cook. When we do, we're grabbing processed things and the pesticides, right? The chemicals, the Roundup that's on food can cause a lot of GI issues. And there's a lot of studies there. Hopefully that will change, I think, in the near future, but who knows? <laughs> I say near future a lot, but We're talking the science healthcare world, so that could be forever. So I do think it's like the quality of food, right? How we eat the food, the stress in our lives and how we're eating are very, very different. I think medications are a big part of it, even our kids, right? And kids are getting started younger and younger and things like birth control, even things like PPIs, right? That can affect how your gut is functioning as a whole. So I think there's a lot of things. And I do think you have a very, unfortunately normal scenario, like myself, right? Like by like 19, I was put on a proton pump inhibitor and like, that was normal. I was told like, this is normal. And it, thankfully it was a short stint of it, but it happens all the time. And you know, your kids constipated, it's normal. We don't die farther. We don't have the tools or the time really in general healthcare to dive in.
0: Yeah. No, I could not agree with you more. I know. I keep thinking about how many babies are on acid reflux medication
1: versus maybe talking about like mom's diet, right? Or the positioning of eating, or it's just- Or tongue and lip ties. Yeah. (laughs) I know, right? There's There's So many things that go into this, but you're absolutely-
0: Yeah. Oh, there's so many things. You mentioned something about glyphosate just now, and you said something about hopefully it changing. Is there anything new on that front?
1: I thought I saw something this week. I will find this back to you. Maybe you could talk about it. That I think that it's starting to get pulled from more and more stuff. Oh. Yeah. Or like uh bands on it. Who knows if that will actually stop anything? Does seem like the damage has
0: been done, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. I like to pretend for the hope here. Yes, I know, girl. <laughs> Just, I know. We already got, got is, is hope at this cousins. point. Hopefully your listeners and your followers to some degree have heard of like leaky gut or intestinal permeability. And that's a big problem for total gut health is that the glyphosate and the roundup, you know, interchangeable word here coming in through the diet and causing distress in the gut. Or like people hear about wheat sensitivities all the time. There's a lot of controversy. Is it the wheat or is it the roundup right on the crop? Right. Okay. We're going to come back to
0: that because I think Sorry, that that's... I went off topic, but was no, no to it's good. That. It's
1: good. I'm so glad you brought it up
0: because I definitely want to talk about it. You know, speaking of gut issues, <laughs> I think that a lot of people would be curious, you know, like what are some of the common symptoms that someone may present with that, you know, may lead you to believe that there is a gut problem.
1: It's one of those topics where you feel like you could connect everything to the gut, right? So (laughs) we could say energy, we could say mood, right? There's a big brain gut connection that we talk about often, even cardiac gut connection. But I would typically say, obviously people think immediately the gut symptoms of gas, bloating, distension, pain, all of that, that's a no brainer to someone like something's wrong with my gut. Skin is huge. Skin is like one of the biggest things that people don't connect is that your skin is your mirror of internal health, right? So what's going on in your gut often will reflect and you'll see like keratosis pilaris on the arms. You'll see acne, you'll see dry skin, you'll see eczema seborrheic dermatitis. You could see all of these things and connect it. Not always, right? It's not always the standalone cause, but connect it back to some imbalance or infection in the gut. So skin would be really, really big. Headaches are a big one, I would say. Headaches and brain fog. So inability to like even just focus throughout the day can be very connected to your gut. Let's think of some really common ones. Energy is obviously really big, but that could be more, okay, are you absorbing the nutrients out of the food? Or we can just go into diet as a whole, but pretty much anything, right? It's kind of crazy. Blood sugar imbalances. Everything can be connected back to your gut. Yeah. I
0: completely agree with that. I know. Right. We could go on period problems and fertility issues and all of of it problems
1: as a whole, (laughs) right? Like estrogen, I just left out a big topic, thyroid issues, right? You might be coming in with like a slight hypothyroidism and no one can figure out why, and you're eating really well. Look at the gut. Right? Are you absorbing the nutrients? Is something overgrowing that's blocking like the conversion of hormones for you?
0: You know what's really interesting is that you didn't even say any gut-related symptoms. And <laughs>
1: it's so fascinating because of how far reaching it is. And we seek out specialists, which is right, see your specialist, that's fine, especially and do as much as you can under insurance. But we see a specialist for our hormone imbalance, let's say, and they're like, well, everything looks good. There's no cause, nothing pathogenic going on. Well, maybe we should look at the gut, right? We should start there. Yes, absolutely. I know. And so, can
0: we talk a little bit about what's normal for optimal gut health? Because obviously, we're talking a lot about what's abnormal, what's wrong. Like, what should we be aiming for in terms of how many bowel movements we should have a day, what they should look like, you know, the incidence of bloating, stuff like that?
1: I think this is also slightly controversial. I'll give you, obviously, my take. Yes. So, Do tell. Some people think once a day is constipated. This is where it gets like the generalities is kind of confusing because I would say any time between one and three times a day could be normal, right? It depends how the bowel movement, like you just said, looks, are you relying on things like laxatives or coffee to go to the bathroom? But basically I would say one to three times a day. I actually personally prefer one to two times for people. I think three, the food is probably a little bit much where you might not actually absorb what you need out of the process going on. You want it to be easy, right? if you're sitting on a toilet and you have to strain or you have to use laxatives, there's a problem going on there. If you have to obviously like take medication, if you see undigested food in your stool outside of like whole corn, that's a problem, right? Whole corn, you're not going to be able to digest everything else. If you could, especially if you could tell what it is, we got problems in the gut and that you would be surprised that people don't realize is the thing there was to go. It's like nuts and seeds, like totally normal. And you're like, that's not normal. Any blood in the stool. If your stool floats, that's called steatorrhea. It's fat malabsorption. That would be abnormal. Why are you not digesting your fats? I also want to preface. Sometimes, right, you might have a one-off where your stool floats, and that it's okay. You'll live. It's when things are consistent, right? It's happening frequently, even multiple times a week. If it smells really poorly, you have to light a candle. You're like, don't go in there. That's a problem. It shouldn't. Obviously, it's not going to smell like roses, but it should not smell to the point where like you have to warn somebody use the bathroom. Right. Yeah. To get more graphic, you shouldn't have to wipe a ton. So these would be like the perfect BMs here. Things happen, right? Not everyone is always going to have that every single day, but it should be like one long piece, kind of an S curve valve movement, hopefully coming out. It doesn't always do that, but it should be larger than like multiple broken up pieces or pebbles. You know, you can look up the Bristol stool chart if you want.
0: Yes. I'm a big fan of that chart. Yeah. So for everyone who doesn't know the Bristol stool chart, it will show you what's ideal and what isn't.
1: People will go to that and be like, oh man, I'm like
0: way. Yeah. Right. I'm number one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Numbers
1: four and five, I think are the ideals, right? Yeah. And And I do think everyone has sort of what their norm is. So like, but there's a generality of what we should be striving for.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: I could not agree with you more. That's really helpful. People say like you shouldn't ever have distension or bloating at all with eating. And I don't agree with that personally. I think if it's affecting your day-to-day living when you eat and you get bloated or uncomfortable, or there's discomfort actually with the pain with bloating, that's where you're like, this is abnormal. This shouldn't be happening. But if you look like you have a little, right, like food belly coming out after, like that may be completely normal for you. It may be based on when you last had a bowel movement but I do want to say, I do think it's normal to have some gas, some bloating, and people think you should have none or something is absolutely wrong. And I don't agree with that.
0: Right. Okay. I think that that's really helpful too, because we talk a lot about bloating, right? (laughs) Especially in women's health, there's a lot of bloating conversation. And so I think that that's good to know. I know. I feel like these absolutes in health are so damaging and can be really challenging for people, especially when they already feel like there's something wrong. And then, yeah.
1: You're constantly fixing is what it feels like. Social media doesn't help. It makes us feel like a lot's wrong with us often. That may not be. It's a great tool. Great tool. (laughs) It can get in the wrong hands sometimes like that. I, you know, that was going to be one of my other questions
0: actually is like, so everything that we experience outside of those normal parameters is not normal. And so that's not really the case. Yeah. Yeah. There's one offs. Yeah. Okay. What about someone who doesn't have gut related issues? So I know that we were just saying, right, there are all these other things that are related to your gut and you didn't really even talk about the gut related problems because obviously there are lots of people who have other issues and, you know, they go to different doctors to treat the different things. Like you said, the skin problems or, you know, whatever other things, the bone problems, you go see an orthopedist or whatever. And so I feel like these are the people who are often missed in sort of the conventional paradigm because they have a gut related problem, but they don't have symptoms related to their gut. And, you know, I've seen research that shows that many people who have celiac, for instance, don't necessarily experience overt gut issues. And they have other telltale signs like the bone loss and joint pain and even recurring miscarriage, or they develop amenorrhea and they stop ovulating or they stop ovulating and develop amenorrhea. So I'm curious about that. Like, how do you deal with people like that? Like when they say to you, oh, well, I I don't have any gut related problems.
1: Yeah. It is an interesting concept because you almost feel you have to be like salesy in terms of gut health. But as long as, as a provider, you know, you can connect back some science and to what we're looking at in the gut and how that can affect X, Y, Z symptom or condition that they're dealing with. Usually if somebody is really struggling, right. They're like, I'm willing to try anything. That makes sense. I want to dive down that route. I mean, first of all, I would say just do your research. So look up your condition in terms of like gut health, even if it is like Dr. Google, like Google the connection. So you can start to learn yourself a little bit and then you can find hopefully, whether it's through like an IFM or something where you can find a service where somebody specializes in those conditions to help guide you. My eBooks, even I feel like have a ton of that information that you might not think about with things that are really easy too, but it's really hard to accept, but I think it's worth always diving into any other route, right? Like the hormone connection is a big one. If you're not getting an answer, even in the functional terms, right? Not even conventional medicine. If you're going down that route and they keep testing your hormones and can't figure out what's wrong with you. Well, why aren't we starting in the gut where the ability to remove hormones out of our body, right? Like if you're estrogen dominant, why aren't we looking in your gut? before hormones, even sometimes to see how well you're able to excrete the hormone from your body. So it's more, if you could articulate that to a patient where you can start, it's always worth trying, right? Nutrition, working with a health coach, working on any kind of support around your menstrual cycle to get success and see if you can get there. And then that will speak words, I think to people, you know, horror test, even if they just work on that piece with you, and they see the success, they're like, well, obviously something's going on with the food I'm putting into my gut. That's improving this.
0: Yes. That's a great point. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to be back in just a second. So uh, we've been talking about a whole bunch of different things. I feel like I have so many more questions and I really wanted to talk a little bit about probiotics (laughs) because I often hear some version of Nicole, I feel like my gut health is fine. I eat really well and I take a probiotic, but you know, I'm still having XYZ problems, whether it's their hormones, periods, whatever, or all of the above. So the question is, should everyone be taking a probiotic and should they be taken in perpetuity? Because I know a lot of people who've taken them for years and years and they just take the same one over and over again. I feel like probiotics are so nuanced and yet we're just blanket taking a probiotic and thinking that that's keeping us in balance or in check.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. And I would actually say, surprisingly, I feel like the least common tools I use in a practice that specializes in gut health is probiotics. So it's definitely not even like my top three first approaches to gut health. So probiotics are interesting. So first of all, Quality very much matters when it comes to a probiotic. Like what is the brand you're taking? Are they doing third-party testing on it to have reassurance that the quantity and the quality of what they're saying is in there is actually in there. The quantity, like I just said, also matters, right? There's many that are like 5 billion. Well, 5 billion count of bacteria going into a trillions of trillions of bacteria system is nothing, right? It's actually nothing. It might be okay to start and you might feel a difference, but it's very, very minimal. I also think people, including providers, sometimes don't know the difference of all the probiotics, right? Any, so many different things are called a probiotic, meaning there's something called Saccharomyces boulardii, which is actually one I use very commonly in practice, but it's actually a yeast strain. It's not a bacteria, right? So it's a yeast that fights yeast and has a lot of other really cool properties that it can use in the body, but that is not something your average individual is like getting over the counter and utilizing, right? They're usually looking at like a lactobacillus bifido blend. And if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, flip your bottles that you're taking and you'll be able to see what's in there. So those are kind of like the general groupings of bacteria you'll see as good bugs going into your gut. And then there's soil-based probiotics. So there's like three types. They can actually work really well in unison together, but now it comes to, well, did you have a test, first of all, that showed what bacteria strains are even low in, right? So if your lactobacillus and your bifidobacterium blends are actually really good and strong on a stool test and we look at that, we don't necessarily need you, if you're not feeling well, right? Like that probiotic is clearly not the thing that's probably keeping you completely well. There might be something you need to remove first, like a bad bacteria or a parasite, right? That you need to remove for that probiotic to really thrive for you. So quantity and quality matter, I am very much about like the methodology of treating a gut. So most people, and that might be due to marketing and stuff, start with like rebalancing and repairing the gut. So they immediately throw in leaky gut formulas. They immediately throw in probiotics. But if you haven't removed, right, started with the removal phase, you're kind of just putting a healthy band aid on top of the problem, right? So remove can be stressors. It could be food. It could be infections. It could be excess hormones, right? So you need to be able to remove the things that are offending your gut or your body as a whole before you can really go and permanently like rebalance and repair the gut.
0: Yes. Okay. I love this because that was going to be what I wanted to touch on next. And it's just that there are so many conditions. We have the irritable bowel syndrome and we have SIBO and parasites and I don't know, leaky gut, like you talked about candida. I mean, we could go on and on and it can feel so overwhelming, which is
1: why I think people just say, I'm taking a probiotic. Yeah. It's like cover my <laughs> bases. Good. And it's yes. like, right. Every condition you named different probiotics are going to work better per condition, right? Like boulardii might be really good for blastocystis hominis, which is a parasite or for C. difficile, even for SIBO potentially. And then if you have SIBO, you might not do well with lactobifidoblends, blends, right? You might do better with like a megaspore or like a spore-based probiotic. So knowing the condition, what you're treating and the type is really, it matters. I completely agree. And so that's where this whole personalized
0: thing comes in. And so with these conditions, you know, where do you even start to determine what could be
1: going on with someone? I'm actually a big believer in like the test don't guess method. So I don't think it's a necessity for everyone, especially if you've been doing this for a long time, you're pretty good at like pinpointing a lot of things, but I do believe. And like, especially if you've seen provider after provider and you just feel stuck and like, maybe you've gotten 20% better, but like that 80% is still like dragging. I like to do some more in-depth testing, like a comprehensive stool test, a SIBO breath test, maybe like a, a total complete hormone test and adrenal test because I want to see before we go throw things at a wall again, right? Like a probiotic, what is actually going on? What needs to be addressed and what order should it be addressed in? Right. So I do believe in that. And I also on the opposite spectrum, really believe in like the low hanging fruit as well. Like, right. So how can we improve the diet, improve the movement, improve the stress, improve the sleep? Because a lot of people still come to that functional world and still want that magic pill, right? They want the, they'll pay the test. They'll take the pills. But if this isn't working, this is going to be a temporary fix.
0: Yeah, dude, totally. I know. And because I was just thinking about that when you were saying the test don't guess, which, Is amazing and obviously so necessary, but also this foundational approach of habits like chewing your food properly. That's always such a shocker to people because when was the last time you actually chewed your food properly? It was like the dinner table with your dad, (laughs) at least my dad, (laughs) telling me to chew
1: my food 20 times. And like, so, right, that can be a continuous contributor to something like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or just generalities of like, I have gas and bloating all the time. Well, are we even talking about how that person's chewing food? Some people like to jump right to the test and it's like, well, I could clear the bacteria, right? I can give you any herb, clear it, put you on a diet. But if you continue to not chew, if there's some bacteria left, we're going to get back to square one where you have that overgrowth. So it's super important.
0: Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Okay. So many good things. Okay. So I want to chat a little bit about the effect of our gut health on our hormonal health. And I know that our hormones also affect our gut. So can we talk a little bit first about how our gut impacts our hormones or
1: at least our gut microbiome really more specifically? So I would say probably the top two things that come immediately to my mind is kind of alluding back to what I said before is if you aren't digesting food well, right? If you're not digesting or just your variety period, like the diet isn't where it should be at potentially, you're not going to get the nutrients that you need to really actually like put cells into use and create messengers and chemicals and neurotransmitters and hormones. So just not having the nutrient status that you need can be a problem for like overall hormonal health including, right, like we see a lot, like I said before, a hypothyroid state, non-autoimmune, you could be just lacking in all the nutrients that are necessary for converting your T4 hormone into your active hormone, T3. So that's huge, right? Just looking at gut health for that purpose. The biggest thing I probably talk about in practice with the gut connection tons and tons of estrogen dominance happening these days. I'm sure it was always there, but it's getting worse in my opinion. And a big part of that actually starts with the gut. So a lot of times you might hear people talk about like your phases and ability to detox hormones. And there's three phases with estrogen that we talk about. Two of them we can test if we're just looking at hormonal patterns or even potentially testing some of your genetics to see how well that's working in your favor. But a lot of times we leave out that phase three detox, which happens in the gut, right? In the liver, the gut, all of the GI organs. So What I'm saying is your body could be doing everything to like package up all of your estrogen and even other hormones and toxins in the body into like a nice little package, put a bow on it, and then you poop it out and you kind of move on, right? And that continuously happens in your body and your liver detox, everything going on. When you have an imbalanced gut, or maybe you've heard the term dysbiosis, which just means imbalance of good and bad, or you have bad bacteria overgrowing, SIBO, whatever it is, it can increase an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase. And when beta-glucuronidase is elevated, you can give people things like calcium deglucrate to help the process continue of detox, but it won't actually lower the number. It's due to the bacteria. So the real root cause of the elevated beta glucuronidase, the word right now is the bad bacteria in your gut or your microbiome. And what will happen is all those pretty little bows you put on your packages to poop out, right? The bow gets untied and all of those toxins, all of that estrogen gets recycled into your body into your bloodstream. And now we are just having excess estrogen, right? Floating around into the system that your whole body is like working so hard to get rid of. So if your gut's not in check, right, we could be doing everything right. But if you have that bad bacteria, you're just going to recircle everything you just worked on.
0: Oh, yeah, exactly.
1: A really unfortunate reason to be struggling with hormones when you could just, it's not like a complicated fix, if you will. Right, right. Most of the time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So- Right, and then if estrogen's off, your other hormones are off because they all balance. So,
0: right, yeah, I know. I mean, our estrogen affects how our thyroid functions, and I mean, we could go on and on. And so, what about the hormonal phases when we are in different phases of our menstrual cycle, and uh, you know how our gut health or our digestive function changes throughout those phases?
1: Yeah. So everyone, I think, experiences it slightly, right, slightly differently, and some people have no issues. But I would probably say the number one thing I see in practice is the shift from when people start to get their cycle, right? They start their menstrual cycle and they go from a constipation state into either a loose bowel or urgent state. Do you see that often? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And people always say, right, we call it the period poops. What happened? Like what's going on? And it's really actually so a lot of the prostaglandins that you're creating will cause that reaction. But when the hormone shift, right? The prostaglandins will happen and you'll have contractions that will increase the bowel movement. So I will see that a lot and people think something's wrong or they're getting really bloated or constipated on their period. And it's actually just the shift of hormones. Maybe nothing is wrong. Honestly, like maybe the cycle isn't too out of whack, the hormone balance. You probably don't know that though, until you work on all of the key factors. You kind of talked about like the low hanging fruit before testing hormones and looking at your gut to see where to start on balancing your hormones. Because I do think with hormones, unless you're working with someone like you, who's just going to like amazingly help them step-by-step, probably they're going to, you know, in the program, it's going to be people guess, people usually guess wrong. They think I have estrogen dominance or I have low progesterone, but it might just be about the balance, right? It might be about the colon and how it's having that beta glucuronidase go up. So, I do think if it really would behoove people to work with someone because we always guess wrong. We think we have one thing and maybe we do, but maybe it's like five other things alongside it and the hormonal balance cascade going on. Yes. Oh my gosh. And then they start taking something they heard on the internet, right? Like dim I'm estrogen dominant. Let me take dim, which is just going to crush your estrogen levels. But maybe it wasn't that you were estrogen dominant. Maybe you were estrogen dominant comparatively to the progesterone level.
0: Right. Exactly. Yes. Thank you. you. Yeah. I'm so so glad you said that because, yeah, it's a guessing game for sure. Yeah. And just so everyone is hearing that, yeah, listening, (laughs) I feel like you have such great resources with all of this information because I think it's so necessary to not be making a guess about what could be going on. Yeah. It's not as complicated as we've been led to believe, but at the same time, it definitely requires investigation with a professional in many cases. So I agree. And hormones
1: is one of the things that I just feel like it's like don't mess with them too much. So it's like I'd yeah. rather have some data to back up what we're doing before I have people come to me all the time and they're like, "Well, I'm on calcium deglucrate, which if you just remember I said, right, helps you with the phase 3 detox of estrogen." They're like, "I was also put on DIM and I was put on sulforaphane and all these things and they're menopausal." And I'm like, "That is not make sense, right? You are not producing enough estrogen, you could still be estrogen dominant comparatively to the rest of the hormones or right. You might be producing more bad estrogens than good estrogens, which we can test. And maybe the sulforaphane would have been an appropriate response to just help support the pathway versus further crushing your estrogen creations. So it's important, right? Like that's why talking to someone and educating yourself with the proper people is helpful.
0: I could not agree with you more. I mean, because symptoms can be incredibly helpful. It's what I've used forever and ever, but can also be misleading. And if you don't know what you're really looking for, you could definitely assume you're estrogen dominant based on the symptoms that you read online or that you're experiencing. And then you go and take these supplements because they're touted online all the time as like sort of the fix. And then as you said, like,
1: Put yourself in worse.
0: You could be in a low estrogen state, but still feel like you're estrogen dominant. Maybe because you're not making any progesterone because you're not ovulating consistently. So, yeah, multiple issues there. Yeah, and I think the other confusing thing too is that when your estrogen is high and your progesterone's low, or your estrogen's low and your progesterone's low, the symptoms all kind of look the same. <laughs> Minus like the really heavy periods and shorter cycles. Typically, a lot of the symptoms might be similar, and then you're confused.
1: Oh yeah, and I was yeah. going to say I didn't want to left out. I talked about a lot the change in bowel movements because a lot of people. I just want to preface what I said is that a lot of people don't recognize until they start to talk to someone in the field that their symptoms are cyclical. So when it's hormone driven, meaning your gut health is hormone driven, you're bloating, you're having constipation. Start to pay attention to your menstrual cycle and see if it's happening the same week every cycle, right? Or like the same few times in the cycle because another big time is a when you're basically about to ovulate, right? A lot of people get cramping, they get bloating, change in bowel movements. It's good, right? Your body is telling you something You're about to ovulate or you just ovulated and that's good information for you. But like, if you don't know that about your body, you might think something's wrong with you. That's not right? yeah. So yes. understanding generalities <laughs> of your menstrual cycle, which we were not the education system did a poor job at that, I think. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's really important is I have people all the time, like, oh, I'm always bloated. And then you find out they have endometriosis, and they, you know, and we're like, okay, there's a connection here to the
0: gut. Oh, yeah. I mean, a huge one. Yes. That's actually one of the number one symptoms of endometriosis and why there are so many misdiagnoses with this condition. So, Can we just talk before we close this wonderful session out about just a few things, like maybe some of the things people can do, like where can people start? You know, we talked a little bit about the low hanging fruit, but if say they're not able to see someone right now, are there a few things that people can do to just start improving what's going on with their gut health?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a million things you could do, but some of the really, it sounds like basic and cliche, but really worth doing is- just focusing on chewing, right? You're supposed to chew like 32 times per bite, which is wild and bonkers, and no one does it. But <laughs> even if I'm like the worst culprit of this, but if you're chewing like six times, maybe you'd be like, let me slow down. Let me just focus this meal on chewing. Another thing around mealtime, this is all really going to greatly impact your overall gut and health, is obviously not eating on the go or under stress. So if you're someone, a lot of us work from home now and we're eating at our office desks or wherever we work move, move where you're working, move where you're eating. Do not eat and work in the same place if you can help it. I know sometimes we can't, but just move. The other things I would say is like movement is really pretty big. So movement can help move bowels, hydration, and proper hydration. So like type of water you're drinking can really affect your gut. Electrolyte balance Can really affect your gut. So like spring water and making sure you're getting proper electrolyte balances can really help your gut health and body as a whole meal spacing can be really easy thing to do and work on, right? Having like three to four hours between your meals, not only help you with your blood sugar regulation, your insulin, your leptin, all of that but if we allow ourselves to get hungry between meals versus grazing and snacking all of the time you actually will have the peristalsis wave kick off so the peristalsis wave will clear any extra food debris bacteria in your gut through it's kind of like a natural prokinetic is getting that growling sensation in the gut so if you're constantly eating the second you get hungry you're not allowing that peristalsis wave to do its job and that's how we can get overgrowth so those are some really easy Easy things you can do. I would say another thing I find a lot of people do is rely on digestive enzymes. Another thing I don't use often in practice, if I can help it, that is one of those things that your body can become a little bit more reliant on. So I would suggest if you're someone like oh God, she's calling me out, if you're using enzymes regularly, not prescribed and overseen by a provider move towards like digestive bitters, right? Or start to eat more bitter containing foods. You can easily, I'm sure Google that. I even have a free ebook, like little ebook guide on the bottom of my website if you head to it and it will walk through what foods can help support like bile production. You can do a lot through food, right? To help digestive processes as a whole. So I would say those are some really easy ones that come to mind. There's like a hundred others, I'm sure. There are, but those yeah. are great. But spacing meal is a big one that people don't think about. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with weight loss or it has all to do with the clearance of the things in the gut. Right. Yeah.
0: I was going to say that I think the digestive bitters one has been so tremendously helpful for myself
1: over the years and so many other people. And most people are like, I don't even know what those are. I know those are great. And those won't affect your body's innate production. So, which is huge. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, this was, I feel like we could so talk for like five great. more hours. I'm I goodness. know,
0: right? I yeah, know. There's We've so already much been go. going for a while now. And I think there's just, I know there's so much more. We'll have to do a part two, but I would just love for you to tell everyone where they can find you and all your resources. Cause I know you have a number of, Free yeah, resources actually, and paid resources and all the good things. very
1: inexpensive ones as well. So <laughs> my website is truth.com. And similarly, right, you can find me on Instagram, you can find me on Facebook, YouTube, all of it. And we'll be under Gut Honest Truth. And we do a little bit of everything from health coaching to, you know, clinical testing and consulting. And then we have tons of resources on our website. So definitely check it out. We have ebooks pertaining to like every very common gut issue. And it tells you also like guides you on these steps of what you could do and how you can advocate for yourself.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, this was great.
1: Yeah, it was amazing. Thanks.
0: That's a wrap. Be sure to join me for more Girl Talk on Menstrual in upcoming episodes, and let me and my guests help you to get to know your period and your body better. In the meantime, if your hormones are screaming for more, check out my previous period party episodes. And of course, if you love what you hear, please take a moment to rate the podcast. And if you're looking for an even deeper dive into your hormone and period problems, go ahead and grab my book, Fix Your Period by going to fixyourperiod.com.